nobody wants to stand out to be different. So for me, having one arm, I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb. So I used to hide it. That was today's guest, Claire Cashmore, talking about her struggles growing up as a teenager with a physical disability. But she didn't let it hold her back. No way. She went on to become an eight-time Paralympic medalist and world triathlon champion. And I can't wait to play you the chat I had with her on today's episode of Try Me A River. Hello team! If this is the first time you're tuning in, you're massively welcome. My name is Stephen, and on this podcast I want to bring you stories from the world of triathlon to hopefully motivate you to achieve your own goals, whatever they may be. And I just know that today's episode is going to inspire you and fire you up to stick at your triathlon goals no matter what obstacles you might be facing. So please stick around for the next half an hour. Some solid gold on the way from today's guest. But just before that, in this week's news, let me bring you up to speed with what I've been learning about the world of virtual racing. So, I completed my first ever virtual triathlon last weekend with a three kilometer run on the Friday a 40k cycle on the Saturday and a 10k run to top it all off on the Sunday. There were about 60 of us competing in it and it was genuinely fantastic fun. I really encourage you to try and find out if any races like that are happening near you or even if they aren't. They don't have to be. You can find one online and give it a blast. Why not even just do something with a handful of mates? Tell them the distances you plan to do for each discipline, record the times in Strava and compare and see who wins the bragging rights. There's no reason you couldn't even do it every weekend during lockdown to keep you all motivated. But organised races are also getting in on the action. The Castle series of triathlons is just one such example. It's been around for many years, but this year they've had to do things slightly differently in the grip of lockdown. And so to celebrate the countries where they would normally stage races, that is France, UK and Ireland, they've organised three virtual races which have taken place through April and May with a different discipline of the swim, bike and run taking place each day over the course of a weekend, just like the one I did. And they're not the only race going virtual. Lakes Man, which is a really popular race, normally based in Keswick in the heart of the Lake District, they've launched a new event called Lakes Man in Lockdown, which will be taking place on the 20th and 21st of June, and there are a whole host of options for people to sign up to. You don't have to go to the lakes. The idea is you do it wherever you are right now. You can sign up for the full iron distance race. That is bike and run only. They're not expecting you to hop into the sea. Or there are options to do bike only or run only if that seems more up your street. All races are £20 entry, so it's cheapest chips compared to your typical triathlon. Why not give it a bash and give yourself something to train towards in a month's time? Maybe... This might just be the springboard for you tackling your first Ironman out on the roads once lockdown is a distant memory in a few months' time. For the rest of this episode, I want us to focus on some of the heroes of Paralympic triathlon, or paratriathlon as it's more commonly known. And we couldn't have much more of a legend in our midst than Claire Cashmore. Despite now finding herself at the very top end of paratriathlon, up until 2017 she had spent her whole life as an elite swimmer. 
and done incredibly well at it. She has competed at no less than four Paralympic Games as a swimmer since making her debut by winning two bronze medals as a 16-year-old in Athens way back in 2004. And she has consistently taken home medals at every game since then in Beijing, London and Rio. Coming into the final race of her Rio Paralympics in 2016, something amazing happened. Despite a sensational career up to that point with three silver and four bronze medals, a gold medal had always just stayed out of reach. As Claire took to the pool on the 16th of September 2016 for that final race in Brazil, she had already won a hard-earned silver in the individual breaststroke event a couple of days earlier. But in her last ever event as a Paralympic swimmer that night, the 4x100 metre medley relay, this happened. She's doing a great job, Claire Cashmore. Well, Great Britain have given themselves a fantastic chance here. Claire Cashmore is holding on to the coattails of Madeline Scott and the gap is nothing like we thought it might be. He's not going to catch her. Stephanie Melwood is going to bring Great Britain home for gold. It's a world record time and Great Britain win the gold medal. It was just such a good race. Like they said, to break the world record. It was a great team and we knew that, but there was quite a few risks from around us. So I'm just running. <laughs> the clean sweep was complete top of the podium where she belonged. But even though she had reached the point where she was a giant of the swimming world and of Paralympic sport in general, and not to mention was made Claire Cashmore MBE in 2017 for services to swimming, she made the switch across to triathlon after Rio and hasn't needed much time to cement her place as one of the best in the business. In Lausanne, late last year, she beat Team GB colleague Lauren Stedman in thrilling fashion by only three seconds in a sprint finish to become ITU world champion in the PTS5 category for athletes with mild physical impairments like the one Claire has after being born without a left forearm. And she isn't even the only world champion triathlete in her house. Her boyfriend, Dave Ellis, is a three-time world champion in paratriathlon himself in the PTVI category for visually impaired athletes. Dave was busy working away in the background doing the cooking the night I spoke to Claire on the phone, but she was a joy to chat to. Inspiring, engaging, but also clearly a supreme competitor anytime she steps onto the start line of a race. She told me about her work with Reach, a charity for people like her with upper limb differences. She talked me through her memories of becoming a world and Paralympic champion, but also touched on the hardships she has had to overcome to get there as a young person living with a physical disability. It's 20 minutes that I guarantee will brighten up your day and maybe also change your outlook on disability sport in general. I started by asking Claire if the structure of her day-to-day -day life had changed since lockdown was introduced back in March. Um, definitely changed in terms of daily structure because normally, obviously, train with squads, so things are a bit more set in stone. Um, is in training times, uh, kind of a bit more set. Whereas now, I I have a bit more freedom and flexibility to kind of do it when I want, which has definitely meant a lot more lions. <laughs> <laughs> I've realised I'm not actually very good at getting up in the morning. Normally, because I have to, I will, but. No, I don't think I get up much before nine o'clock, which is crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely it, it definitely has been quite strange, um, and it'll be a shock to the system when I have to get back up at six o'clock in the morning or whatever times. <laughs> yeah, oh, is that the norm? That sounds horrible. What would a normal morning look like in terms of your early start for training? So 
the early starts more with like the swimming so it would be getting up at six six to get to the pool for seven swim till 8 30 and then pretty much straight into the gym and then doing another another activity in the afternoon so it's not it's not too bad I can't complain because when I was a swimmer I used to get up at four four twenty pretty awful so especially when I was at uni and all my friends were coming in from a night out as I was going out swimming and they'd be like what are you doing Claire where are you going (laughs) the night's over and I'm like yeah the morning's just started for me guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah and with, with you having been so successful at swimming over the years I'd be interested to hear about why you chose to move from something that you were one of the best in the world at given the Paralympic medals you won to a completely different sport why did you choose to make that jump so I suppose the, the decision was probably made for me a little bit in terms of uh, not long after Rio my funding actually got cut from swimming so you know I, I'd come back with two medals and suddenly my funding was cut which was a little bit of a you know hard pill to swallow I suppose but that kind of pushed me in a sense because I was like right okay I've been told I don't have potential in swimming anymore so now is the time to go and try something else and I'd always wanted to give triathlon a go but I kind of thought I would do it a little bit later I always thought I would do it two three years potentially later but I'm so glad I made that move when I did because I think it's given me the time I needed to get my head around all the elements of triathlon Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah I took a a few months to kind of figure out if it was definitely what I wanted to do I didn't want to just jump ship and go into a sport which I didn't really know a huge amount about and not really, you know, fully want it both head and heart. So yeah, I, I took a few months to kind of figure it all out and I, it's been the best move I made. It, it really has been amazing. And do you enjoy it as much as you enjoyed the swimming or, or even more than? Uh, more than. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I love swimming and I love, you know, I did it for so many years. I think the one thing I miss about swimming is I miss the competition because I think you're in a stadium, like particularly like London Paralympic Games, when there's thousands and thousands of people all in a really condensed space and the noise in that stadium is incredible. Yeah. And you don't quite get that in triathlon because obviously you're outdoors. So, so the sound just doesn't have the same effect. Um, yeah. So I miss, I really miss that from swimming. But on a training side of things, I much rather the training for triathlon, like it just the, the variety in it. And, you know, you've got four sports rather than following a black line for mm. two hours in the morning, two hours in the night, <laughs> counting <laughs> tiles, which is what I used to do a lot. <laughs> so. and, and you live with Dave, who I believe is cooking your dinner at the minute. Is that right? Yes, he is very kind. <laughs> and and he himself is a very successful um, triathlete. A lot of lot of bling under one roof. He's a multiple. <laughs> um, how has it been being in lockdown with him in terms of your training? Like, do you train together? Would you normally train together, or has this been the first time that you have done your training together? So we're always training together in the sense that we're at the same sessions, but we actually don't really see each other that much wet during training because he although I don't like to say it is a lot faster than me. <laughs> so that means that, you know, he'll be, he's got a training guide and also cause he, he's visually impaired. So he's got his training guide and then um, race guide. So he does all his training pretty much with them. So yeah, we don't actually spend that much time together normally during training. Now we, we do spend a bit more time together. So 
we'll often be on the bike together but he very much likes to put his headphones in and just crack on and I'm like are you not going to talk to me (laughs) (laughs) and he he just doesn't he completely zones me out so (laughs) we've we've done a few runs together but my hard runs would pretty much be his easy runs so (laughs) he's good at pacing me but no it it, it is it's been good because like I said, I sometimes struggle to get up in the morning and get myself motivated. Whereas he's very much, he gets up and he gets cracking. So okay. seeing him doing that makes me feel guilty. So then I'm quite <laughs> happy to get on and do the same thing. So yeah, we're, we're, we're lucky that we've, we've got each other to kind of spur each other on, I suppose. And you are a defending world champion as we speak at the minute. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, can can you tell me a little bit about that um, day in Lausanne where you clinched the title and won the race by just a few seconds? Oh, so it was quite an interesting race, actually. I was telling somebody about it the other day because um, so basically we'd not long come back from Japan. So we'd had our test event out in Japan. So still feeling a little bit jet lagged, kind of a little bit like, am I fresh enough to race? I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm at. And the the main race of that year kind of was Japan because obviously being the test event. So got into the race in the swim and I felt horrific, like <laughs> so, so bad. And just suddenly the girls all went away from me and I was like, oh my gosh, like what on earth is happening? You know, I should be strong at the swim. And I started completely beating myself up. I was like, you're not good mm. enough. You're too tired. And then I was like, you're <laughs> tired, you're jet lagged, you know, rah, 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 going on and on. Like this voice inside my head was horrible. <laughs> And then I got out to swim and I was like, it's fine. Just get around the course. Like, just finish. It doesn't really matter. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then on the bike, I got the first split on the first hill. Because I think it was a four or five lap bike course. And uh, they were like, oh, two minutes behind. And I was like, oh, geez, there's no way I'm catching this up. And then at each lap, you know, I got from fourth to third and then second. And then the girl in front was like a Lauren of a British rival. She, I think she was by my final lap, she was like a minute. And I was like, right, okay, I, I can do this. So yeah, I just slowly caught her. And then to the point where in transition going onto the run, we went onto the run together. So we, we literally ran the whole of the run stride for stride um, together, which was amazing. And then it came down to the last like 50 meters. And I was like, right, this is my time to go now. I kind of knew that I had a bit of sprint left in me. I hadn't really pushed myself too hard. I was like, just do enough to get you to the finish line. So yeah, I took the sprint and it was the most incredible feeling crossing that line. Uh, I did celebrate a little bit too early though, which was one of those really <laughs> awkward moments where you're like, no, what if you fall or something? Yeah. I just got so excited and I was a little bit uncontrollable. There's a silly photo of me like crossing the finish line with my arms like waving yeah. all over the place. But that's the emotion of sport and sometimes you can't control those moments. Yeah, yeah. Here, I, I'd be really interested if you could just take me back to your childhood and tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up as a child with a physical disability. Was that difficult at times for you? Yeah, definitely. I think... When I was really young, you know, I wasn't phased by it at all. I used to have great fun with my prosthetic arms, like throwing them at people and just, <laughs> you know, not being bothered at all by it. And then it was te- my teenage years when I started to notice that I was different. And, you know, as a teenager, you're pretty self-conscious, whatever. Nobody wants to stand out to be different. So for me, having one arm, I felt like, I stuck out like a sore thumb and um, so I used to hide it I used to 
you know, be boiling, boiling outside. Not that we often get boiling weather in this country, but when we do, like today, actually, beautiful yeah. day, you know, I would, I would go to school with my blazer on and, or my jumper wrapped over my arm or something to hide it. Um, and like the only time that I didn't hide was when I was swimming or when I was doing sport, like sports day. And often, you know, people, wouldn't have realized and suddenly they saw that I had one arm <laughs> so it's like what the hell happened <laughs> but no I, I just hated I thought people wouldn't like me you know you, you get quite negative comments from people um like your arm makes me feel really sick which really didn't help it, it kind of really added to my insecurity the thing that really changed it for me was actually getting involved in Paralympic sport and getting involved in uh, the nationals through swimming and just seeing so many people with different disabilities and seeing people that were like me. And I'm also part of a charity called Reach, which is for people with upper limb differences and seeing other kids that were facing the same challenges, I suppose, as myself, just kind of helped me grow in confidence. So I, I definitely, I believe that sport changed my life and it gave me the confidence that I, I have today. And, you know, now, now I think it's kind of cool that I've got one arm. I can tell, tell stories like it was a crocodile attack or shark attack or, you know, and you can, you can have fun with it. Um, whereas, I think as a teenager, yeah, I, I, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> Hated the body that I was given, essentially. Yeah, but you've grown to appreciate it. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah, definitely. In, in terms of funding, which is something you mentioned about as one of the reasons that you moved to triathlon, is that an issue in Paralympic sport in general? The fact that there isn't the, the mainstream coverage that other sports get? Um, we're, re we're really, really lucky. So we are supported by UK Sport and by lottery funding in the exact same way that our able-bodied counterparts are. So in that sense, it's amazing. You know, I can't complain at all. That stops me from going and getting a real job, essentially. In terms of like sponsorship, that, that's definitely harder to come by. But I think currently at the moment, it, it's hard for anybody. I think sport's in a slightly weird place. Before London, there was so much interest. Uh, whereas after London, it seems to kind of digressed a little bit, and actually, there's not as much around. So yeah, it, it's definitely a harder place to be. And I suppose, particularly for like Paralympic sport, is it seems to be those you know ten household names, which quite a lot of the sponsorship all goes to them. And you're thinking, okay, there's there's a lot of us. <laughs> Can we not spread it out a little bit? Or yeah. you know footballers could they not give us you know <laughs> one hundredth of their salary and like spread that out between 10 athletes that'd be amazing <laughs> they could just sponsor loads of other athletes I, I think that should be a new suggestion to them <laughs> yeah we should write to them <laughs> <laughs> yeah what what do you think could be done to improve the exposure of paralympic sport then because as you said at london channel 4 did such great coverage and i think the whole public really got behind that like me and my family were watching it every day and and then it almost feels like between Paralympic cycles there's four years of, of relative silence is there any yeah. think broadcasters or just the media could be doing to improve the platform that Paralympic sport has I think you've hit the nail on the head there in the fact that it's brilliant every four years but then what what's happening in between absolutely nothing and that that's where we need to increase that because until you've got more 
household names you know the people that are racing you know the british athletes you're not going to get that continuity and that interest in following particular athletes because because you only see them every four years and you know for example triathlon we we have a world champs we have europeans we have many world series throughout the year now we do get a little bit of coverage from bbc but it's not enough um so yeah, I just think there needs to be more coverage. There needs to be more insight into people's daily lives, daily training routines, and just so people can get that interest and want to follow it a little bit more. And, but, and also for you know those kids or, or adults growing up with disabilities to actually see those role models and see people still achieving something, even though they have to overcome so much adversity. Mm. Can we look ahead to Tokyo, which is now going to be in 2021? Are you allowing yourself to dream of meddling there? Yeah, definitely. I think you've got to dream of that, but it's without putting that added pressure on yourself. I think, you know, there's been far too many times where I've become pretty obsessed by that gold medal and pretty, I'm, I'm a very outcome driven person. And I know definitely throughout my swimming career, that was kind of all I thought about. Whereas I think coming into triathlon, which is a completely different sport, definitely changed my outlook a little bit because the race is so unpredictable. Anything can happen. You know, Lausanne, I was way behind and then managed to get up to first. There's been other races where, you know, my wetsuit's ripped and I can't get it off and I'm completely stuck in a wetsuit. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, there was one race where somebody came into the back of me and you can have punctures you can have all like particularly my boyfriend this year he's had repeats of bad luck of Mm. puncture mechanicals things like that so you've just got to go in there being the best prepared you can possibly be and particularly Tokyo it's going to be super super hot super humid it's going to be really unfamiliar conditions and it's it's going to be whoever the, the best prepared athlete is that will win that race so yeah hopefully I'm doing everything I can and that's all I can possibly do yeah it's exciting looking ahead and I I suppose in a sense it's good in many ways to have that extra year because you can get even more prepared for it well definitely I think especially for me you know I I am so new into the sport still like I'm only three years in so I'm kind of on the upward trajectory so it has brought me an extra year essentially I think the, the athletes I feel really sorry for are those that were planning to retire after Tokyo because you know often they will be literally counting down the days ticking them off and suddenly you've got this a whole other year and a whole other winter block and all that that they've got to go through for me it's not like that at all because I'm, I'm still so excited I'm still so new and so fresh that you know I'm, I'm kind of like oh yes get another massive winter's block under my belt and hopefully you know I, I should be even better so yeah you've got to look you know every cloud and silver lining and all that stuff philosophical business <laughs> here, I, w- I want to briefly hear about the swimming pool you've got uh, in your back garden is it in your back garden yes it is yeah <laughs> you're having a big uh, outdoor pool how, how has that been what's it like to swim in one of those because you don't have the tiles to follow you don't have the no. end of the pool to hold on to and catch your breath every 50 meters what, what does it feel like when you're in there yeah, so you, you do a lot of uh, touching the bottom of the pool because it's obviously not that deep. <laughs> so quite a bit of scraping your hand along the bottom. It's freezing. That is the <laughs> thing. You know, now, right, 
today it was 18 degrees but normally it's about 13 degrees which is absolutely freezing um so you you come out and your your lips are pretty numb you can't even talk and your feet are just like a frozen block so yeah wetsuit is definitely needed but it's just good to kind of be able to feel the water and try and get a sense of you know still using your arms because i'm using my legs all the time at the moment by running and cycling but I still need to try and keep my arms in a little bit of shape and just for my shoulder health it's really important so yeah it doesn't replicate it's not it's not the same as swimming in a pool or open water but it's the best in this situation and I can only really manage half an hour at the moment just because it is so cold but also it gets quite boring when when you literally got you're not going anywhere (laughs) how how long's the longest you've managed to stay in swimming for Uh, I think 40 minutes was when it was a little bit warmer before I managed to do 40 minutes but yeah that by that point I am my lips are so so cold (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I've seen quite a few of the swimmers actually have got endless pools which which is really cool and I, I did consider getting one but they are crazy amounts of money and I was like at the time I it was beginning of lockdown and I thought oh it won't last too long you know two months or something and that now I'm like well, maybe I should have got one <laughs> <laughs> the paddling pool featured in the BBC under Boris Johnson the, the daily news yeah <laughs> it was uh it was pretty cool actually the, I had a guy coming around to do like some social distancing photos so he, he literally was not allowed anywhere near me from Reuters is it Reuters is that how you yeah. say it yeah so yeah he took one of me in the pool and yeah it made the top news of the, the, the next day Boris Johnson's news and then there was a picture of me Claire Cashman <laughs> going in her home pool I was like oh wow <laughs> <laughs> you made the big time yeah exactly. sponsors will be coming in now <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh if only <laughs> but they no, Thankfully, the garden didn't look too much of a mess. He got it from a good angle. I was like, thank you. The very last thing I I want to ask you is, where would you like to see Paralympic sport and and paratriathlon in, let's say, five years' time? What would be, like, your dream for the future of Paralympic sport? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Like, I think the fact that I've been involved since 2004 and seeing how far it's come in that time is incredible. But there is still so much more to come. You know, I, I, I would love to see it on an equal playing field with the Olympics. I'd love to see the sponsorship to be exactly the same. I'd like to see the coverage to be exactly the same. And I'd like it to just be given the exact same respect as, as the Olympics. That would be my dream. But, it, you know, it is going in that right direction. And I think the more people see of it, the more people love it and that passion is there. And we just need to see more coverage and hear more from it from the Paralympic athletes to, to gain that interest. So fingers crossed it, it is moving in the right direction. Well, here, thank you so much for your time. You and Dave are both very, very inspiring athletes for a lot of people. So keep it up. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. But she isn't the only fantastic paratriathlete out there. Let me, just for a moment or two, give you a quick summary of some of the other great athletes that you should look out for in the world of paratriathlon. And this is by no means an exhaustive list. First, Dave Ellis. The man who was cooking in the background there, he's already had a little mention. Dave has only 10% vision, but... As I said in the piece with Claire, he's a three-time paratriathlon world champion 
and he is a lightning fast runner. He also has a very strong swim background and represented Team GB as a swimmer himself at Beijing 2008. Dave is so fast a triathlete that it can be a struggle to find people fast enough to be his guide. In the past few years, he has had to call upon top names from the world of long-distance triathlon, such as Tim Don and Mark Buckingham, to race as his guide athletes. I can't even begin to imagine how he races as fast as he does with such limited vision. He is an absolutely immense athlete. Next, another person who we mentioned a few minutes ago, Lauren Stedman. You may know her from TV shows like Strictly Come Dancing or SAS Who Dares Wins, but behind all these on-screen appearances, you've got a fiercely talented young triathlete. Competing in the same category as Claire does, the two of them are neck and neck in a lot of their races. So look out for a great tussle between those two at Tokyo 2021. And finally, George Peasgood. George is 24 and suffered a traumatic injury to his left ankle when he was only two years old. This left him with limited range of movement in his left foot and one leg longer than the other. This hasn't held him back however and he placed 7th at the Rio Paralympics and there's lots more to come from him in the near future. As he's placed in a category where most athletes have arm impairments, he usually gets a bit of an advantage in the swim but is at a disadvantage for the run making for fascinating race action, with the faster runners trying to chase him down. Definitely another one to watch in Tokyo. For all the other Team GB names to keep an eye out on next summer at the Paralympics, go to britishtriathlon.org and find out about their inspiring stories and how you can follow them in the lead up to the Games. That's all for this episode. Thanks a million for your company. Please get in touch to stay up to speed with all the latest podcast episodes and breaking news from the world of triathlon. You can email me, Stephen, anytime at trymeariver at gmail.com or give us a follow over on Twitter at trymeariver. Let me know how you're squeezing your training in during lockdown. I'd love to hear from you. Always a pleasure, never a chore. I look forward to seeing you next time round. Have a great week. 